So Ben, um, Money neglected to mention how many hours your meeting would be after the service, so about how long will that take uh, for those who've been nominated and are supposed to come meet with you? 20, 25, 30 minutes, so. And I only plan to preach a couple of hours, so, I mean, you'll get out by 3 o'clock, I'm sure, today. Um, we're continuing to look at what I've called the dinner party dialogues. Uh, Jesus was often invited to dinner parties, frequently early in his ministry at least. It was in the house of a Pharisee, and he just went in and blew the place up. And this is another one of those uh, stories today. Last time I was here, we looked at this passage and looked at verses 37 to 41. I want us to look at verse uh, 42 today. Um, last time we dealt with the problem of purity. How can I be pure? Everybody knows they're not pure. Everybody knows uh, that they've done things wrong. Everybody feels guilt. And uh, we looked at that and found out that the only way to be pure is to have the purity of Jesus Christ imputed or reckoned to your account. And we'll find something very similar today in verse uh, 42. It's the, but the, the, the way it, he comes at this passage, I think is uh, by dealing with the question of how can I be accepted by God. Uh, Romans uh, 1 tells us that everybody knows there's a God, and everybody knows that they're out of fellowship with that God. And so the question then is how can I be in fellowship with my creator God, the creator of myself, the creator of the world. And, and this passage answers that question because the way that uh, we often... Uh, to that, as one of the scripture writers says, we have, man has made many devices, they will not work uh, in order to get us accepted by God. There are six woes, uh, beginning in verse 42. The first three are pronounced on the Pharisees. Woe to the Pharisees in 42. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees. Verse 44, woe to you. And then interestingly, one of the lawyers, and by the way, those aren't lawyer lawyers, those are experts in the law, uh, says, hey, Jesus, when you said this, you insulted us too. Uh, and Jesus said, well, you, in so many words, you got my point. <laughs> and uh, he's just blowing this party sky high. And then he pronounces three woes on the lawyers. Um, these are experts in the law, maybe what we would call seminary professors today, but I'm not on their case uh, particularly. Uh, you'll remember the Pharisees were a reform movement in Judaism, very conservative, uh, seeking to be very biblical, meticulously keeping the law. They were popular, and they were legalist, and they were wrong. As Jesus would tell them over and over, they were dead wrong. So let's pray, and then we'll read the text and see if the Holy Spirit will help us uh, this morning. Lord our God. We come to you as those in need of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we ask you, uh, Spirit that inspired these words, to now illuminate them to our understanding and apply them to our hearts and change our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see us as you see us and that we will run to Jesus. And I pray uh, that you'll use a wretched, sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow and straight way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Beginning at verse 37 of Luke 11, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him so that he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the words of our God will never fade. They will abide forever and forever. Most of us, when we were children, uh, had things that our parents would say to us that would indicate that we were in trouble. Uh, for me... It was my name with a certain amount of volume and intensity. Alan Carter! Maybe you experienced something very similar to that. Or it could have been a more with a sense of resignation. Oh, Alan, you know. And again, you may have heard that yourself. Um, the woes, some interpreters say, well, it's like you're in trouble. And others say it's like a resignation. Whoa, golly, you guys just don't get it. I actually think it's the former. I think Jesus is saying they're in trouble. It's the woes here like the woes that are announced in the book of Revelation. But the latter is possible. I won't fight you over that. Uh, in, in one sense, both of them are probably intended. My outline is very simple. What they did, what they neglected, what they should have done, and why Jesus is on their case today, okay? So what they did is they tithed. And they tithed more than was expected of them. Now, tithing is commanded in the Old Testament. I don't want to argue whether and how it applies in the New Testament. A lot of people say, well, it does. A lot of people say it doesn't. I actually think the New Testament standard of giving is much greater than that, but uh, that's for another time and place, okay? But you find it in Deuteronomy 14. God said, here's what you have. Part of it you need to give to me. Oil and grain and new wine. You should give some to me. Why? Well, they were supposed to acknowledge God as the giver, or the source, um, and revere God as the giver. I mean, if you can, you know, if I could produce a hundred million uh, bushels of wheat, you know, myself uh, tomorrow like that, I mean, it would be pretty amazing, and uh, you would say, man, you know, you'd revere me for that. God didn't do it that way, though he could have. He did it with the manna, and, and, um, and, but, but they want to acknowledge God and revere God, and they want to rejoice in God's goodness to them. That's one of the things we do in tithing. Uh, we rejoice. God, I am so glad you have blessed me so much in this way. Um, they obviously tied to support the Levites and the temple worship, uh, that is the ministers and the churches. And they also tied to be more broadly benevolent, aliens, orphans, widows, things like that. 
The Pharisaical tithing went beyond the requirements. They tithed, it says in this text, and it says a little bit different thing in other texts on other occasions. You tithe mint and rue and every herb. Uh, in Matthew 23, a parallel passage, it says mint and dill and cumin. Uh, now, let's just think about mint for a minute. There's no record anywhere that they were to tithe mint. Um, but they did. Rue was a plant about three feet tall with gray-green leaves and yellow flowers. And in the Mishnah, one of the uh, Jewish uh, holy writings that's extra-biblical, uh, it was specifically exempted from tithing. But here the Pharisees are tithing it and herbs. So why did they do that? Why did they go beyond what was required? Well, uh, you may be familiar with the uh, term. You may not be familiar. If you are, I hope you will be after I tell you this. All right. Works of supererogation, supererogatory works, works that go past what is required and in their thinking earned merit before God. Here's what God requires. If I do that and this, then I've got a claim on God uh, I can say to God, I have merited your blessing me. I have merited your favor. And he will bless me. He's got to bless me. Not only should bless me, but that he will and must bless me. And so what is Jesus saying here? That they go to a great extent and use meticulous detail to be certain that in the matter of tithing, they don't shortchange God, indeed, that they go beyond what God requires and they have merit before God. But even this is not enough to gain acceptance with God. You remember the story of the Pharisee that came to Jesus and said, um, what do I have to do to be saved? He said, do this, 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 and this. And he left out coveting and he said, well, I've done all these, those things. And, and then this haunting phrase he said, what do I still lack? He knew in his heart that after all he'd done, there was still something that he lacked. I think that's where these guys are. I think the Pharisees were like that. I think they did all they did. They did a lot. As a matter of fact, one of the verses that was instrumental in my conversion in 150 years ago, uh, actually not that long, just 1970, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now in the summer of 1970, I read those words out of an old King James Bible that I had bought and smuggled home. And I thought, well, those are pretty holy dudes. They were good guys. I'm not a good guy. They were a lot better people than I am. And you got to have more righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees have to get to heaven? Well, I was convinced I wasn't going to pass go and wasn't collect $200. I was just going to go straight to hell if I died that summer. That's what I was convinced of. Sad to say I didn't know enough of the gospel to know what to do at that point. What they did is tithe in order to gain righteousness with God, and I think their hearts are still empty, hollow. 
I think they lack assurance because they did not have a basis for assurance. Secondly, what they neglected. Well, they neglected um, justice and the love of God. They neglected justice and the love of God. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus, and if you read uh, broadly in the Gospels about Jesus and the Pharisees, usually, not always, but usually, he was on their case because not of what they did, but what they didn't do. Those of us in the Presbyterian tradition talk about sins of commission, where God says, don't do this, and we do it anyway. And then sins of omission, where God says, do this, and we fail to do it. We fail to do what God requires. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Well, theirs were sins of omission. And although they did some things that were good positively and even went beyond the requirement, they were blinded to their sins of omission, by and large. What is justice? Well, I think here in this passage, justice is in the sense of social righteousness. Either they're not concerned with how they treat others or they treat others badly. Um, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the great commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. This is the second and what's likened to it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. And they were not doing it. And there was a history of that. If you read in Micah uh, chapter 3, I'll just read a few verses for you from Micah chapter 3. I've been reading Micah in the mornings and... Uh, Wow, some powerful stuff in Micah. But here's what he says about them. Um, Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? And I could go on. This is a failure in regard to the second of the two great commandments. So you have neglected justice and the love of God. And I think the love of God is not God's love for us in this context. It's talking about our love for God. You fail to love God. You're keeping the law, but you don't love God. You're outwardly doing the right thing and maybe even more, but inwardly there's a lack, a huge lack. They did not love God and they did not love their fellow Israelites nearly as much as they Love their rules. If you look at Matthew 23, a parallel passage, it says you neglect mercy and faithfulness. Mercy toward others, faithfulness toward God. It is the same uh, basic uh, 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 outline or strategy that Jesus pursues on that other occasion. When he talks to them about fasting in Isaiah 58, uh, um, he, he says to them, look, you guys fast, okay, Talking about Israel, obviously not the Pharisees back in Isaiah 58. But in chapter 6, he said, look, if you fast, if you deny yourself, well, that's pretty hollow if it doesn't have certain other conduct that goes with it. Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and to hide yourself 
and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. There, so these, the pattern here in the scriptures, it's very clear. And so he's saying to them, look, you do this, but you don't do that. And I think we should stop and ask the question, what are, what are our sins of omission? What are my sins of omission? What am I neglecting? Excuse me, I've got a, I don't need this, do I? And I'm having to stomp all over it. Um, what are we neglecting in our zeal for the trivialities? I mean, because that's what this is, right? Tithing meant and dill and cumin and rue and every herb. They got a lot of zeal for the trivialities. But the big stuff, loving God and loving their neighbor, they miss it. Perhaps we're like the Pharisees. We tithe meticulously. And we think that tithing covers our omissions. Do you? You give to the church and you think that covers your omissions? You take partial obedience as complete obedience? Is that where we are? That won't compensate for our sins. As a matter of fact, nothing we do can compensate for our sin. Jesus did everything that's necessary to compensate for our sins by his sinless life and his substitutionary death and his victorious resurrection. And nothing else will do. And if, if you come and hear the gospel preached in word and see the gospel proclaimed in sacrament and then feel unaccepted by God, the problem is not in your obedience. The problem is in your faith. Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 9 and 10, they're two, three, four places in there. He talks about our consciences being cleansed from dead works. You can do that after your nap this afternoon. You read Hebrews 9 and 10, you'll find that. Conscience is cleansed by dead works to serve the living God. My goal, one of my goals as interim pastor here would be that I preach the gospel to you so clearly and repeatedly and from all the various angles that I can come at so that your consciences would be cleansed from dead works so that you can serve Serve from the heart, not out of guilt, but out of joy and gladness and thankfulness, the living God. Pharisees never got there. They never got there. They lived under the damning delusion that they could cover their own sins by tithing mint and dill and other herbs. You, you, you know, sitting here, it sounds ridiculous, but we've got our own versions, right? of mint and dill and herbs that we give to God. I never will forget, uh, early in my ministry in Birmingham, I came across the text in uh, Deuteronomy, you know, I'm an old man, I forget these things. Somewhere in the first 12 chapters of Deuteronomy, you read them, you'll find this, okay. God accepts no brides. I still remember the day I preached that text at Faith Church, Birmingham, Alabama. It was in the old building. God accepts no bribes. And the place got still. And that's when a preacher knows that he's touched a nerve, right? When the place gets really still. Because we all try to bribe God. 
We all try to buy God off with little things that can't buy God off. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus satisfied the wrath of God, puts us in the right place. So go back, go back to that. Most of us can find something we do well, no matter how trivial, when we're trying to justify ourselves before God. The problem is we overlook the more significant areas. If you think you have something to boast about before God, friend, you are wrong, pure and simple. Uh, That is a delusion if you think you have something to boast about before God. What do we have that we did not receive? Nothing. So what should they do? My third point. We're rocking along here. Third point. What should we do? Practice what they neglected without neglecting what they practiced. (laughs) It's very simple. They should practice what they had neglected without neglecting what they had practiced. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, why did Jesus say that? we got to get clear on that. It's Jesus saying, okay, guys, um, you've got this tithing thing down. If you'll just get this justice thing down and this loving God thing down, you'll be there. You'll have it. Is that what he's saying? Nothing could be farther from the truth. He's not saying, just a little bit more, guys, and you'll have enough. A little bit more, guys, and you can justify yourself in the sight of God. A little bit more, and you will have arrived with acceptance with God. He's not saying that at all. They can never make a record that good. They can never please a perfectly pure and holy God. All our righteous deeds, remember, as Isaiah told us, are filthy rags in the sight of God. There's so many people that can never get there. Pharisees couldn't get there. My hunch, some of you can't get there either. All of my righteous deeds are filthy rags in the sight of God. Have you ever been able to say that from the heart? That I have done nothing, zero, nothing to commend me to God? And it's all by Jesus? Have you been able to say nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling? Most of us think we got something in our hand. Here, God, accept me on the basis of this. Friend, you don't. You don't. You have nothing in your hand. I don't know whether you can admit that or not, but I can tell you on the basis of God's word, you don't have anything in your hand to give to God, to buy God's favor, God's love, God's affection. So why did he say this? Because he wants them to see that they're hopeless without him. So they'll focus on the internals. The internals are difficult and unmanageable. I got up this morning, I hadn't shaved in three days, you know. I can shave, I can put on a coat and a tie and come up. I can, the externals, you know, of course I'm older and there's certain things you can't do much about. But, uh, you know, most of us can clean up the outside a little bit. But the inside, oh, mm. Most of us know that if other people could see what's on the inside, they would reject us, right? And you project that, well, God can see what's on the inside. he, He must reject me too. No, he doesn't. You see, that's the gospel. He sees better than you see on the inside. In one sense, that's terrifying. And in another sense, that's 
joyous, right? He sees everything and he still will accept me in Jesus? Yes. Yes. You see, that's the gospel. He's trying to let them see that their sins of omission are as bad as their sins of commission. He's trying to get them to give up on trying to save themselves and to reach out with a hand of faith and to latch on to Jesus Christ. They won't they want Jesus, they want, Jesus wants them. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get them to trust him, to use his record to make them acceptable to God. So he wants to see them, get them to see their sin and their unrighteousness so they'll turn to him. So there are really several ways to characterize the problem here. They take partial obedience as complete obedience, yes. Um, that's selective obedience. Uh, they, 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 they major in avoiding sins of commission and forget sins of omission, yes. They practice trivialities, manageable things, rather than majoring on the, excuse me, the major things. Why is that unacceptable? Because it's a dead-end street, right? It's a dead-end street. It won't get you there. It won't, won't get you acceptance with God. It's an approach that will blind you to your own sin, to hide our eyes to our need of Jesus. So I want to go back to something I started with earlier. Why is Jesus willing to blow up this man's dinner party? I don't think Jesus was really rude as a person. I think it took a lot of boldness, we would say guts, for Jesus to go in this man's house. And he just blew this thing sky high. I mean, he really did. It, <laughs> the passage kind of ends. We don't, know how the, we don't know how the party ended, but I don't think well, right? So why did he do that? Because he loved them. Because he saw them on the road to hell. And he wanted to get them off that road and get them to embrace him as Savior. Earlier I said that these woes were like my mom used to pronounce woe on me <laughs> by the way she said my name. Is God calling your name today in a way that is kind of similar to the way my mother called my name? Is he saying to you, whoa, you're on the wrong course. You, you think these things will get you accepted by God, but they won't. Only, only, says Jesus, I will get you accepted with God. Perhaps Jesus is calling your name today to wake you up to the realities of which I've been speaking. And so I close with this. Why not embrace Jesus today if you never have? Why not embrace him afresh if you have? You think the promise of the gospel is, is that if you will put your faith in him, if you will entrust yourself to him, then his full and complete obedience is counted, reckoned to your account, and God the Father finds you acceptable in his sight. That's the only way to be accepted by God. That's the answer to the problem of acceptance by God. Let's pray. Lord... Uh, thank you for being willing, having the courage, the boldness to blow up this man's party by rebuking 
the man and his friends because they were headed to hell. And we want to believe, Lord, that perhaps some of them saw the light and turned to you. And if they did, Lord, we look forward. We'll meet them in heaven someday. Lord, I pray there are none like them here now today. Or if so, that they won't be in that place for long. That in the gospel read and proclaimed and shown in the sacrament, that they will see you, Lord Jesus, as the only way to be accepted by the Father. We pray in Jesus' name, Holy Father. Amen.